0: Here's the question that I, I want to discuss with you, and it's a question that believers have dealt with, and it's, and it's this. Why shouldn't I just keep on sinning? Why not? Why shouldn't I just keep on sinning? Now, here's some background information. Uh, even if you haven't been to the church before, you might know that Christians believe to become saved, you need to trust in Christ. You need to believe in Jesus. A few weeks ago, Pastor Ed taught on this specifically. That we are saved not by our works, not by our morality, not by our righteousness. We are saved because of what Jesus did on the cross. In fact, I was just encouraged this morning. uh, Rosemary, someone who attends here, uh, gave me this wonderful little acronym uh, that stands for grace. And it's and follow this. I, I think this is great. God's riches at Christ's expense. Grace. That's wonderful. That's that's amazing. We get all of God's riches through Christ. That's how we're saved, not by being good people. We are saved through faith in Christ. But if you're sharp, and you think about that for a second, and people outside of the church have thought about this, and people inside have thought of of it as well, if that's true, then why shouldn't I just be the most vile sinner you could possibly be? I mean, I'm saved by grace. I'm saved by Christ and His work. It's all on Him. So why does that in any way obligate me to Follow after him, to follow his commands. In fact, some people outside of the church have often made this criticism towards Christianity. Doesn't that mean that some horrendous, let's say the you know, worst possible person, a child serial killer, could simply say the words and continue their awful rampage and be saved? Is that true? Now, I I just wanna I just wanna tease that question out because I believe we are free. When we come to Christ, we are free. But what does that freedom mean? What does that entail? And that's what I want to explore this morning. We're continuing our, ser- uh, our series, Design to Thrive. Uh, the people inside the church and people outside of the church often make this decision that, uh, or think that we have to make this decision. We either have to do what God wants for us or we get to do what we want for ourselves right? We always have to make this choice, it seems. Do I want to do what God wants for me, or do I want to do what I want for me? And in reality, since God designed us to thrive, that which God wants for us is what's best for us. We don't need to choose between what's best for me and what God wants me to do, because those are the same thing. And when we come to know Christ, we start to realize that His design for our lives is what's best for us. We are designed to thrive. And today we are going to see that we are designed for freedom. We are designed for freedom. When we come to Christ, we are truly and ultimately free. But what exactly does that mean? Does that mean I can just continue on sinning however I want? If you would, would you open your Bibles to Romans chapter 6? We're going from verse 15 to the end of the chapter. Uh, Whatever someone's talking about spiritual matters, you want to make sure that what the the information they're giving to you is from Scripture. Because this is our authority. This is God's word. My opinion doesn't matter all that much. We want to know what God has to say. So that's why we get all of our information, spiritual information, from the Bible. Now, at the beginning of this passage that we're going to look at, Paul states this, uh, this question. He says this in verse 15. What then? Sh- what then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? See, the apostle Paul who writes the book of Romans, and it's called the book of Romans because he wrote this letter to a church in Rome. He when he whenever he goes around preaching, he preaches about the gift of grace, the gift of God's grace through Christ. He tells them you can be saved not through works of righteousness, not through works of morality, but through God's grace. We give our lives to Christ, and he gives us eternal life. He saves us. But he would also get a bunch of feedback. A bunch of people would say to him, okay, okay, if that's true, then why shouldn't I just keep on sinning, right? That's the same question that I just posed. Why shouldn't we just keep on sinning? And I point that out for this reason. We seem to think that people who lived 2,000 years ago around Jesus' time were very primitive thinkers, That they didn't care about rationality. They didn't care about logic. They just kind of believed whatever they were told. But that's not the case. The people in Jesus' day had the same inquisitive minds that we do today. They want things to make sense. They want things to be logical. They don't want to believe in something simply because someone preached it at them. They want their worldview to coincide with reality. They're not just being duped into being Christians. They're Christians because they are inquisitive. And they've learned more about who Christ is and it, they've, it turns out to have made sense. We have this recency bias where we think we've got all the answers. These ancient people don't know anything. That's not the case. They have the same inquisitive minds we do. So they asked this question and I'll restate it for you. Why not keep on sinning? And this passage is going to give us at least three answers to this question. Why not keep on sinning? I'm saved. Why not just keep on rejecting God, doing what I want to do, not what Christ wants me to do three answers to this question. And here's the first one. True faith leads to true obedience. True faith leads to true obedience. When we give our lives to Christ, when we give our lives to him in faith, we declare him Savior, we declare him Lord. And when we do that, it necessarily leads to obedience. Not perfect obedience, but obedience. Our worldview is shifted to follow after Christ. Here's what the passage says. We'll start again at verse verse 15. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. Paul starts off by saying this very bold claim. Actually, it's really not that bold at all. It's quite quite self-evident. You are slaves to the one you obey. That's true. Whoever you are obeying, that is your master. You are slaves to the one you obey. So Paul is basically saying, you can know who your master is. You can know who your Lord is. Just take a look. Who is ultimate in your life? Who calls the shots in your life? When we come to Jesus in faith and we declare him Savior and Lord, he becomes, in essence, our master, our Lord. We don't use the word uh, Lord very, very much. In fact, when I was a kid, uh, the only time I would ever hear the word Lord was in reference to God. So I thought the word Lord meant literally God, uh, but that's not the case. We just don't use this word anymore. And uh, what, what relationship should a person have to their Lord. What relationship would a person have to their Lord? And that relationship basically is, if they say jump, you say, how high? That's the relationship you have with a Lord. Now, Jesus is more than just a Lord. He is our Lord, yes, but he's also our Savior. He's also our friend. God is also our comforter, our counselor, our helper, our healer. But yes, he is also our Lord. And we need to remember that. When we come to faith in him, he's our Lord, and a Lord gets the last word. Take the L off of last and put the, uh, take the W off of word, you've got Lord. Last word. A Lord gets the last word. And this is so important, because I grew up in a church that preached the gospel of grace, and that is crucial, so essential. We need people to know that they are not saved by works of the law. They aren't saved by doing good things. They're saved through Christ. That is so essential. But it wasn't until much later in my life that I had learned that this actually should have changed me to follow after God. That this actually does obligate me for him to be my Lord. Not just Savior, but Lord. We can't miss that. True faith leads to true obedience. It's a function of that faith. God becomes our Lord, and we follow after him. So that's the first answer that he has for us. But you're probably thinking, and I don't blame you, that you're, you're probably thinking, hey, you're saying that God is your Lord, that he is your master? Okay, I get that. But don't go around saying that you're free. You've just got a new master, and that master happens to be God. Don't go around saying you're free. You're still a slave. You're a slave to God. But nevertheless, don't go around saying you're free. Paul will answer that question for us. The Word will answer that question for us. But here's the second answer to that question. Why not keep on sinning? Here's the second answer. Faith changes your allegiance. Faith changes your allegiance. At one point, our allegiance was to sin, and now our allegiance is to Christ. Faith does that in us. Take a look at what it says next. Verse 17. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin... You have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I'm using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness leading to holiness." So, as this passage says, faith changes your allegiance. And one of the things that he mentions here is that you have come to obey from their their hearts the pattern of teaching that has now claimed that allegiance. So, these people who have come to faith in Christ have discovered that their heart is now turned towards God. They see now that their hearts are allied with God. And, And notice the way that it's phrased. You have come to obey from your heart. This is something that God works in you. This is something God does in you. He changes our will so that we want to desire Christ. This is a work of God. It's God's grace. He gives us the grace to desire to go after him. He changes our hearts. It's an inside out thing. And then he says this. It's another passive uh, type phrase. He says, you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. You have been set free God sets you free from sin and you have become slaves to righteousness so there's two parts to that first you've been set free from sin if you have faith in Christ and we uh, those who are in the church we kind of know this we kind of get this okay we've been set free from sin we give our lives to Christ we declare him Savior we declare him Lord we trust him ultimately and so we are saved from the penalty of sin Sin leads to spiritual death. Sin leads to hell. But Christ leads leads to life, to eternal life. So we give our lives to him and we are free from sin. But not just the penalty of sin. Sometimes we only go that far. We're not just free from the penalty of sin, but we're also free of the power of sin. The natural self, all of us, when we were born, were under the slavery of sin. We desired not the things that God wants for us, but we desire the things that we just want for ourselves, our selfish desires. We just want the things of this world, the small, petty, insignificant things of this world. That's what we were after. That's what our whole lives were about. But when we came to Christ, he opened our eyes that that should be resisted, that what I want for myself isn't what's best. What God wants for me is what is best for me. That's what's happening when we come to Christ, He sets us free not just from the penalty of sin, but also the power of sin. We are free to resist those temptations. Now, then he says that we have become slaves to righteousness. And there it is right there. We have become slaves to righteousness. How can you say that you are free when clearly it says you are a slave to righteousness? Well, here's here's a misconception about freedom. People believe and obviously they should. I mean, I would believe this too. Uh, People believe that true freedom means having no restrictions. True freedom means having no restrictions. That's what people think. But the reality is, the way that we live, and we actually know this, that's not true at all. Consider for, I've got a few illustrations here, consider a fish. A fish who is free to go wherever that fish wants, whether in the water or on a on land or in a tree or maybe in a bird's mouth Um, a fish who is free to do those things won't get more freedom doing those things the ultimate freedom for a fish is to have the right restrictions to be in water you know even even lions have figured this this out okay i uh i watched uh, the lion king a couple a couple days ago it's really good Uh, the cartoon's better but it's still really really good i encourage you and And uh, the uh, reason why Scar comes in and everything goes terrible is because he thinks freedom means having no restrictions. So he overhunts. He perfects the kill. And so the whole savanna in that area, it just becomes desolate. They didn't get an ultimate freedom. They just expressed their immediate freedom. The true freedom that we need is the right restrictions. So Mufasa was the king that imposed the right restrictions. Now just think about it, just go walk down, go, go through imagination lane here, and walk down Toronto, downtown Toronto, and no one has any restrictions on their behavior. How free are you? How free are you in that situation? Everyone has no restrictions. I mean, it would be chaos, it would be absolute mayhem. We are more free when we know that the police are around enforcing the right restrictions, so long as obviously the police are not corrupt. Uh, We we are free with the right restrictions being imposed. That's absolutely true. We restrict our freedom now for a more ultimate freedom in the future. And you already know this. This is why you're not eating fast food every meal, right? Because you're restricting, I hope you're not doing that, you might be doing that, but you are restricting what you want to do now so that you can have a more ultimate freedom in the future. Same thing with exercise, you are restricting your level of laziness so that in the future you can have more health, you can be more fit. We all know this instinctively. We restrict ourselves now for a greater and more ultimate uh, freedom in the future. Freedom isn't about having no restraints, it's about having the right restrictions. So when we say we are slaves to obedience, what we're really saying is that we are following the right restrictions. For ultimate freedom for a more ultimate freedom not just today not just tomorrow but for all time for eternity so you might be thinking okay i kind of get it i kind of get how following police leads to more freedom i kind of see how following a diet leads to more freedom i get it okay understood but how does following god how does being a slave to righteousness lead to an ultimate freedom and paul is about to answer that as well Here's the last answer to the question, why not continue to sin? Here it is. Faith opens our eyes to the truth about sin. And faith, conversely, faith also opens our eyes to the truth about righteousness as well. See, the truth about sin, it's hard for us to see when we're enslaved by sin, but the truth about sin is it's ugly. It's destructive, and it leads to death. God opens our eyes to that reality. And also opens our eyes to the reality that righteousness following God leads to goodness, to life, and to eternal life as well. Here's what it says next. Verse 20. When you, were a slave, uh, when, when you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God... The benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So these uh, Christians who have come to faith suddenly look back at their past life, look back at their past sins, and they are ashamed. Ashamed. Now here's a question for you. If Christians are free, shouldn't they be completely free of shame? Completely free of shame. But yet these, these believers are ashamed of their past sins. Now, does, should they be ashamed? Is, does that make sense? And here's, here's how I categorize it. There is a such thing as an unholy shame. An unholy shame looks at the person that you used to be and allows that to poison the person you are today. An unholy shame looks at the sins that you've done in the past, the mean things that you've done, the mistakes that you've made, the regrets that you've had, takes all of that and says, that's me. That's who I am. And I can't get past that. I did those things, and that, those things are going to show up in my life like, like an uninvited phantom every so often because that's me. That's who I am. That's an unholy shame. But there's also... A holy shame. A holy shame that looks back at the past and says, you know what, I made mistakes. Those sins, they hurt me. They hurt my relationship with my friends, family, and spouse. They hurt my relationship with God. But you know what? Jesus took care of it all. Jesus has put that in the past. And I am not that person anymore. I've been made new by Christ. I get a fresh start. I'm completely new. That person who did those things, not me anymore and I praise God that he has changed me that's a holy shame see unholy shame buys into this idea that we need to work off our past sins that we even though we're saved we still need to do a whole bunch of things to make sure that we make up for all of the things that we've done in the past that's what unholy shame does to you and it's a lie you don't need to work off your past sins. Holy shame knows that Christ has dealt with it all on the cross and that we are made new insofar as that previous self is no longer our present self. We may still struggle, but we are made new following after Christ. You see, holy shame looks back and says, that was a mistake. Unholy shame looks back and says, that's me. I'm garbage. I'm trash. I'm not worth saving. Only Christ can save us from this unholy shame. Only he has dealt with all of the sins of our past, our present, and our future. And only he can really actually change us into new people so that we can look at that previous self. I mean, many of the believers in here, I'm sure if you were to run into a, if if you became a believer later in your life and you were to run into a high school friend, I've experienced this. Many of you have as well. Tyler, you're different. You're kind of weird. No, well, they might say that, but hopefully, hopefully a good weird. You're different. You're, you're changed. And I can say, hey, praise be to God. Because that's what God has done in me and has done in many of you as well. So what caused this change in these Roman believers? Why are they suddenly now ashamed, a holy shame in their past sins? Well, he tells us right next, uh, actually, uh, throughout the entire passage, we are told again and again, God has changed their view about sin. Take a look at all of these areas where they talk about uh, he talks about how sin is no longer attractive first they 're saying, "Hey, what benefit? What benefit did sin give me? None It says that uh, now i 'm ashamed of sin, and this sin results in death that I was once enslaved and captured by sin. I didn't know it at the time, but I was enslaved by sin. And finally, the wages of sin is death. Now that's an interesting little phrase. What kind of death is this passage talking about? Well, certainly it is including physical death. Our sins can certainly lead to harming other people insofar as they die. That's true. But it can lead to all sorts of other deaths as as well. Relational deaths. The sin that you've committed in your life and I commit in my life harms relationships. Relationships between me and my spouse, me and my family, me and my friends, me and my co-workers, me and my church. It damages all these relationships, but not even those ones. There's even more. It damages relationships between me and the environment, and even between me and myself. But even over above all of those things, sin destroys those relationships But there's a major relationship, an even more major relationship, that sin destroys. And that's the relationship between ourselves and our God. And if we do not have a relationship with God, that results not just in physical death, but in spiritual death. Eternal death. Death apart from God. That's what sin leads us to, and that's what God opens our eyes to. We see sin now and we say, that stuff is trash, it's garbage, it's rubbish, it's a pile of dung, and I don't want to be, uh, I don't want to be associated with that anymore. God opens our eyes to that. But conversely, Jesus also opens our eyes to the truth about righteousness. This is what, uh, how he says that. First, we realize that righteousness leads to a number of benefits. It leads to holiness, and it leads to the gift of God, and God gives us this eternal life. Our eyes, when we come to faith, are opened to the fact that sin is rubbish, but God leads to life, leads to holiness, leads to righteousness. Our eyes have been opened. Can you imagine if, you know, the whole world at large just obeyed one Of Jesus' commands? Just one. Which one would you choose? Here's the one I would choose. I think this would do a a great deal of good throughout the whole world if we just all committed to following one of Jesus' commands love your enemies and do good to those who persecute you. Can you imagine? Love your enemies and do good to those who persecute you. If we all just did that all across the globe, we just listened to this one command of Jesus, you know how different this world would be? Every school shooting over, every terrorist attack done, every murder finished just by one command. And this would be worldwide just by following this one command of Jesus. Now, it's easy to see how that command would lead to life. But Christians, when you come to faith, our eyes are open to the fact that all of Jesus' commands, whether or not we understand how, lead to that same life. Even if we don't understand it today, one day we will understand, but today we trust Christ. Our eyes have been opened to the good things that come from righteousness. We need to seek God and say, God, open my eyes. To the, to the garbage heap that sin is and allow me to turn, change my heart so that I will follow over after that which is best for me. Christ and his commands. And this is what we believe ultimately. Verse 23, for the wages of sin is death. You don't want death. No one wants death. But Jesus opens our eyes to see that sin is what leads to death. And the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Oh, Heavenly Father, would you open our eyes to the truth that sin is ugly and righteousness is wonderful, it's glorious. Here's a way that I've summed up this answer that Paul is giving to the question, why shouldn't I keep on sinning? Here it is. A changed life won't save you, but a saved life will change you. A changed life won't save you. You could write down all of Jesus' commands and follow them perfectly, but you still cannot earn eternal life. There's no amount of good works that we could do. You couldn't do all of those things anyway without God's help. That won't save you. But a saved life will change you. When we give our lives to Christ, when we give ourselves over to Him, declare Him Savior and Lord, He changes us from the inside out. And now we can see That sin is ugly and Christ is wonderful, glorious, and I want to follow after him. There are two major mistakes that we need to avoid when we're talking about things of faith. Two big mistakes. Here they are. One is, and many of us still make this mistake, one is you need to be moral to be saved. Wrong. You need to be righteous to be saved. Wrong. You need to get to a certain level of good before you can be saved. Wrong, Not true. Don't believe it. We are saved through Christ, by Christ alone, by his work on the cross alone. We give our lives to him, and he saves us immediately, regardless of our past, regardless of our present, even regardless of our future. Christ saves us. And you can give your life to Christ even now, and you will be saved. You don't have to work your way up. You don't have to get to a certain level before you do that. You can give your life to Christ right now. Say it to him in prayer. Lord, I believe in you. I believe you went to the cross to save me from my sins. I believe that you are Lord and Savior of my life, and I want to follow you. And the moment that becomes your heart's conviction, you are saved. The first mistake is to think that you need to be moral to be saved. But here's the second mistake. Here's the second mistake. The second mistake is... Believers can continue to sin with impunity. That's not true either. It's not true either. When we come to Christ, if we've truly come to Christ, He does this miraculous work in our lives where we suddenly see and our eyes are open to the fact that sin is trash, sin is garbage, and we don't want to go after that anymore. Yes, we will struggle. Yes, it will be difficult to resist. Yes, I get all that, and I'm not asking for perfection here. But our orientation towards sin and towards righteousness is changed. Sin is rubbish. God is glorious. He is good. And his commands are for us. We will thrive when we give our lives and our obedience to Christ our Lord. That's how we will thrive. And in fact, that's partly what heaven is the realm of christ's supreme rule where everyone there will experience ultimate freedom we will have true freedom when we are under the right restrictions the restrictions that christ has for us in his word and the first intersection where faith and obedience meet and this is by design i'm going to ask the band to come up the intersection the first intersection where faith and obedience meet is in baptism. That's the pattern of the Bible. People come to faith in Christ and the first thing that they ought to obey is baptism. Be baptized. Get dunked. That's what the Bible shows us in the New Testament again and again. People come to faith in Christ and then they are baptized. That's the pattern. And we may not fully understand why that is best for us. Maybe we even resist that. But we declare Christ our Lord, and we trust that what His design is, is what's best for us. So, whether or not you've become a Christian even today, or whether you've been a Christian for a long time and you've never been baptized, I encourage you submit to the right restrictions, submit to the Lordship of Christ, and experience true freedom. But that goes for everyone. Even if you have been baptized, submit to Christ's Lordship and experience the thriving of the right restrictions. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, help us. (laughs) Help us, Lord. Because we still, parts of us still, look at sin and want it. And sometimes that other will that's inside us This old will that's inside us takes over. And we sin. Lord, right now, we repent. Right now, we turn from those things. Right now, we ask for forgiveness. Right now, even specifically, we repent for those sins that we keep going back to. Lord, open our eyes afresh to the reality of sin, that it's terrible, that it's evil, and it leads to death in this life and in the next. And open our eyes to the truth about you and your commands. You are glorious, you are good, you are lovely, you are wonderful, and you know what is best for us. Open our eyes the glory of Christ and his forgiveness on the cross. And may we obey in exuberance and joy knowing what you have done for us. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.